If you enjoy this show, you will enjoy the new novel Alice Isn't Dead, a standalone, complete reimagining of this story. It's out now. Find it wherever you encounter books or at aliceisntdead.com. I've been to a lot of rest areas in my life. Hell, I've been to a lot of rest areas this week. Parking is easier, and I kind of like the rustic feel of them versus a gas and shopping area. I like the trees and the grass. But for the next few days or weeks, months maybe, I'll stop at the truck stops and gas stations instead. The hot dogs under heat lamps and the tired people who were still a long way from where they wanted to be. I'll take that crowded noise to avoid the quiet rest stops. Or the rest stops I used to think were quiet. Joseph Fink, performed by Jessica Nicole, produced by Disparition. Part 2, Chapter 7, The Monk of Crystal Springs. Gilroy is where our garlic is grown, and you can smell it from ten minutes out. It smells amazing, like diced garlic dropping into a pan of oil. Anyone who lives anywhere near Gilroy must have that smell blasted out of their consciousness, what a terrible thing to lose. It reminds me as a kid going to our local stand right on the edge of a strawberry field. You could buy the berries warm from the sun, their stems still bleeding water. The hours were irregular and dependent on the harvest. You would know that they were open because they would fly a flag in the shape of a carp. And the stand always smelled so strongly of strawberries and a little bit like soil the most perfect mixture of smells. And no one who worked there could smell it. The smell had been blocked out by their brains. Even as a kid, that seemed like one of the worst fates, to work in the best smell in the world and never be able to smell it. From Gilroy, I followed the 101 through the amazingly named town of Coyote and up toward San Francisco. About a half hour out, I had to pee, and laughed at the thought of trying to stop a truck in the city and find a toilet. But there it was, the Crystal Springs rest area. Did you know that rest areas have Google reviews now? I looked this one up later, and there was one review that just said, If you've ever wondered if cops spit or swallow, come here. And then the review said good coffee, so the coffee's okay. On the hill above the rest stop, there was a bizarre statue of a man, bulbous and ill-formed, pointing at the highway. It looked like he was scolding the passing cars. 
Jerry Morissette was a medic in Vietnam, an alcoholic, a monk. He was hired by Caltrans to run a maintenance crew at the Crystal Springs rest area in 1990. He parked a decommissioned ambulance behind the bathroom, and he lived in it. At the time, the rest area, convenient to the city but also conveniently rural, was a popular site for drug trade and gang conflict. Jerry tended the grounds like they were his own garden, because that's what they became. The bathrooms were always impeccable, with vases full of flowers on the sinks. Eventually, he moved out of the ambulance into a Caltrans maintenance shed. To help keep crime away, he painted some of the parking spots with reserved for California Highway Patrol, and it worked. The drug trade and the gangs moved. Jerry went on living, unknown to the state of California, in a rest area he sometimes referred to as his monastery. A few years later, the state found out and tried to evict him. But the people of the Bay Area fought for him, and Jerry was made official. The state put up a trailer for him, and he moved in. With two dogs, Butch and Spike. And the bathrooms were clean. And there were flowers in the vases. Jerry Morissette the monk of the Crystal Springs rest area. Even though the lot was pretty full, the bathroom was empty, which was odd. The air felt different than the air outside. There was a glass vase full of fresh flowers on the sink. I smiled at it although I didn't yet know the story of Jerry Morissette. All of the stalls were empty, so I chose the one in the back corner. You know, I read once that the first stall, most visible to the rest of the bathroom, is also always the cleanest because people choose it less. I don't know where I read that. I have no way of knowing if it's true, but I have spent the rest of my life believing it. Brains are strange objects. I was in the stall when I heard the voice. No one had come into the bathroom. The stall next to mine had definitely been empty. But now there was someone sitting in it. What have you seen? The voice asked. It didn't sound like the voice was in the room with me. It sounded like a cassette, or an MP3 from the early 2000s. Flat and faint. Uh, I said, because, well, because all of this, because everything about this situation that was happening. Two of you. Like now, but two of you. Later. Soon. We're all ready. I can't tell. The feet in the stall next to mine shifted. The person was sideways, facing the divider between us that seemed too flimsy now. 
I'm sorry. I, I think you have me mixed up with, uh... I didn't know how to finish that sentence. And then I realized I didn't have to finish it, and so I left the stall and headed briskly for the sink. As I did, I couldn't help but look. The stall next to mine was open, and it was empty. I stopped. I stared at the empty stall, and it wasn't empty anymore. There was a person in a hoodie. The hoodie was pulled over their face, and I couldn't see any detail in the shadow of it. The person in the hoodie was slumped, looking at their feet, whispering to themselves. I couldn't make out any specific words. And then they were standing. Not that they stood, but that they were sitting and slumped, and then the next moment they were standing, sagging against the stall divider. And then they were at the sink, running their hand over the flowers in the vase, still whispering. And then they were looking at me, their hand tearing at the petals. They murmured louder. I sprinted for daylight like it was my next heartbeat, and as I did, I was able to pick out one word from their whispers. I heard the word praxis. It started with the death of a dog. Spike died, and Jerry started drinking again. His work suffered. His monastery slipped back toward being a rest area again. Then he phoned a Caltrans supervisor who he believed had poisoned his dog and threatened him. Police came. His trailer was searched. Three guns were found. Why did Jerry Morissette, monk of the highway monastery, have three guns? Well, he did live in a parking lot that was once frequented by drug trade and gangs. But maybe it was because he lived in America. And so, for better or worse, or worse, or worse, he could. The state began eviction proceedings. Insult of all insults, they didn't let him clean his bathrooms anymore. Brought in another worker to do it. The state even cast doubt on the most fundamental aspects of his story. Maybe there hadn't been so much crime at the rest area before. Maybe Jerry Morissette hadn't done much more than be real good at cleaning. His single-handed transformation of a troubled place into a beautiful garden might have just been very good PR. And that was it for Jerry Morissette. A dead dog, a drunken phone call, three guns, and the last decade and a half of his life cast into doubt. An article from 2014 said that he moved to a trailer in South San Francisco. As of that article, he had been given six months to live. Cancer, of course. Always cancer. 
There is no more sign of Jerry Morissette on the internet after that. I presume he died, but I cannot tell you for sure. I can only tell you that there was a man who had gone to war and come back, and gone to religion and come back, and who turned a rest area into a place of worship for a few years, and then his dog died and it all ended. There's no moral to this story, but there is a real human life. I couldn't explain what I had seen, and my first instinct was to drive until the gas tank was empty. But I also felt like this might be one of my few chances to understand. I'd seen this person in a hoodie twice before. Once by the Fremont Troll, and again in video footage of a murder, in which the person had rescued Sylvia from a thistle man. I needed to think, and so I climbed the trail up to the statue on the hill. The plaque said it was of Father Junipero Serra. It was lumpy and squat. The face drooped, and I realized what it looked like. A thistle man. The vague shape of a human, but not put together right, and stuffed into skin that wasn't the correct size. I didn't like the way it pointed out at the highway, so I descended the trail, and without letting myself hesitate, I went back into the bathroom. A family of laughing women from three different generations went in just before me, so at least I wouldn't be alone in there. Except, and maybe you saw this coming, bathroom was empty. The air felt different than the air outside. A very different temperature. And a smell like a slow-moving river, somewhere between clear water and algae. There was a vase with flowers on the sink. I looked into each of the stalls, and there was no one there. I heard movement behind me, and I turned to see an older man with a long graying beard, wearing an orange safety vest, carefully arranging the flowers in the vase. Excuse me, he said, the details of his form lost in the dimness, and he nodded slightly and left. As I watched him go, I heard the whispering behind me. The person in the hoodie, sitting in the stall, folded over at the waist and whispering at the floor tiles. Hello, I said. The whispering got faster, more urgent, but they didn't move. I reached out my hand as though I would be able to touch them, but I would not be able to touch them. So I took my hand back. Hello? I tried again. You again? Said a voice to my left. The person in the hoodie was sitting on the sink, legs dangling. 
They were barefoot and their feet were filthy. Or is this the first time? Who are you? Hmm? What do you know about me? I am. They thought about this for a moment, kicking their dangling feet. Hidden places on the highways, in the bathrooms at gas stations, behind the painted scenery of roadside attractions, in vans parked far out in the grassland, there are oracles on these roads. You can see the future, I said. No, they said. You misunderstand me. What did I get wrong about what you said? I asked. No. I meant you misunderstand me. You don't understand what I am. What do you want? I want to help you, they said. They were back in the stall flopped backwards against the tile like a person unconscious. I still couldn't see any face under the drawn hood. You are in danger. Huge revelation, I said. You're blowing my mind. You don't understand the danger. There's a war, I said. They said, and I'm caught between the sides. Yes. So that much I understand, I said. No. They said, you don't even understand the most basic shape of it. And there was that question again. The question I'm starting to think might be at the heart of all of this. What is Praxis? I said. One day you will understand. And when that day comes, we will be there to help you. What is Praxis? I insisted. The person in the hoodie rose hanging limply by their arms like a toy in a child's hand. They were whispering again. They came toward me, their toes dragging on the pristine floor. When they were very close, I could smell what I knew now, unmistakably, to be the thick smell of heather. I opened my mouth to scream, and as I did, I saw for a moment within the hood two human eyes and the wet, reflected light of tears falling from them. And then, laughter. One of the women from the family was coming out of a stall. The other two were at the sink. They were laughing about the woman in the stall's brother 
who had insisted on buying a number of paper maps rather than just using his phone, but then couldn't even read the maps correctly. I was standing there, trembling, my back against the sink. One of the other women looked at me oddly, but didn't ask if I was okay. The three of them left the bathroom. I looked at the sink. There was no vase, no flowers. The floor was muddy, needed cleaning. I leaned on the sink for a long time, trying to put some version of myself back together again. And then I pushed off of it, and shaky, but me, I stepped back out into the light. Hey, Alice Heads, which is a name I just came up with for listeners of Alice Isn't Dead and that I don't think I'll ever use again. Anyway, I'm releasing two books this year, which is a weird thing to say, but I've been working on both of these for years and I'm so excited for you to read them. Okay, first on May 11th, 2021, the first 10 years, two sides of the same love story. So there is a love story that happened behind the scenes of Welcome to Night Vale between me, Joseph Fink, and Meg Bashmaner, voice of the Night Vale credits and MC and tour manager for the live Night Vale show. In this memoir, we recount the first 10 years of our relationship, year by year, without consulting each other beforehand. It's a funny and romantic story about how differently we experience and remember our lives. Then, on July 20th, The Halloween Moon, my first ever novel for ages 10 and up. Esther Gold loves Halloween, until the year that Halloween night just won't end. Even she doesn't want Halloween to last forever. No matter your age, if you're a fan of Alice Isn't Dead, I think you're going to love this book. Get these books wherever you get your books. And now, a knock-knock joke. Knock-knock. Knock-knock. Is no one home? Or just no one answering? Or no one who can hear? Or is willing to hear? An empty hallway into an empty stair at the top, an empty bed? Or a quiet ear pressed just on the other side of this door, hearing every word, but not caring enough to ask who I am? Is there breathing in that empty hall? Is there a quiet foot on that stair? Is there warmth in that bed? Or is there just me? trying once again to enter a place I am not wanted. Either way. Knock, knock. Knock, knock. Knock, knock forever, I guess. This has been a production of Night Vale Presents. Find out more about us and our shows at nightvalepresents.com.
From the creators of Welcome to Night Vale, Alice Isn't Dead, and within The Wires comes a new Audible original, Unlicensed. In the outskirts of Los Angeles, where the cul-de-sacs and strip malls sprawl into the desert, two unlicensed private investigators scrape by on whatever small cases come their way. But when a teenage girl pleads for them to take the strangest case of their career, this unlikely pair, with no resources and no backup, will follow a trail of seemingly unconnected cases, which will lead them to a ransom, a murder, a mysterious wellness center, and a conspiracy that might go all the way to the governor. It's important to catch small fires early. They don't stay small for long. Unlicensed. Available now at audible.com slash unlicensed.